You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Rashawn Evans and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. If you like what you're listening to, then why don't you subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. That way you get easier and faster access to all of our new episodes every Wednesday also, if you'd like more content from us, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at No Nonsense Pod. Guys, we're coming off what was a disappointing, to say the least, loss for the Titans on Thursday night football against the Colts. And I think that had the Titans merely lost the game, I think we would probably be sitting here and saying, you know, that was a tough one. You know, we go back to our, our catchphrase of like, it's a division game, anything can happen, they'll get them next time. But the way that they lost makes this one especially probably sour for the Titans. But for us looking at them, like I wish I wish everyone could see the face I'm making right now. Like, just it's like I'm smelling something bad. It was just uh, it wasn't good. Complete with you know a total meltdown in the second half. A 17 point swing courtesy of special teams. A 17 yard punt. A block punt return for a touchdown. More bad defensive play. Looking at this one generally, uh, this one was not good for the Titans. And I think we can agree with the person who's probably most to blame, and that's Mike Vrabel. Uh, and that's who I blamed in my postgame column. And I, I tweeted this the day after. You know, I thought Mike Vrabel's good for a meltdown game once a year. Last year in 2019, it was the Cairo Santos kept sending him out after, you know, having missed all those field goals. This year, it was that Thursday night game against the Colts. And we can get into the reasons why in just a second. But I put the blame for that one on the players, but more than anyone else on Mike Vrabel. I I think that's fair, and you're not going to get any argument from me. You know, some of the decisions he chose to make before this game, like uh, the punter situation, it ended up, you know, haunting the team and, and possibly swing uh, the whole game. And the Titans just, they were so flat coming at a halftime. And whenever I see that, because they came out really hot, their first drive of the game was fantastic. They drove right down the field, they scored a touchdown, and they played rather well for the duration of the first half. But the second half was just a complete disaster. The team was so flat. And so uninspired, and you just, you have to point the finger at the coach because he's the one who's given you know the halftime speech, the halftime talk, 
to the team. He's the one who's making the adjustments at halftime most of the time. And I just think it's very clear that he was probably at fault for a lot of what happened in this game. And I mean, I listen, the, the players have to make plays when it matters also, but it's up to the coaches to put them in position to make plays and, and win games. And that simply did not happen uh, during this game. Yeah. And I think it helps that we have sort of a one-to-one from this year to last year. Most of the starters are the same on both sides of the ball with the exception of Vidori being out and, you know, some other changes here or there. And, the defense is just night and day worse than uh, than it was last year, and that's really the one place that there's been any change. Whereas the offense is actually better than it was last year. You know, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, they're still better than they were last year on a per game basis. So, you know, is it all Vrabel's fault? Yes, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I guess I can like politically correct and everything. No, like the players have to do better, but. I mean, they're just not in a position to do any better because they're not getting instructed on where to be. Like, you know, they're, they're receiving no help from their head coach on in any phase. And I mean, I just I think that's a big problem. And I think we're all in agreement on that. We talked a lot about it before we hit the record button. But let, let's be specific. Let's talk about what the problems are with Mike Vrabel, because it's very easy to just sit here and, and sort of slander him and say he sucks and all that. But, but let's talk about what the problems are. I mean, specifically to Thursday's game, I thought that the two glaring problems were, number one, you know, picking the FedEx punter Trevor Daniel over Ryan Allen, who had played well just a few days before. And then number two, and we'll get more into this specific issue in a moment for what feels like the 80th time this year, playing off coverage. I, I still don't get it. But th- those were the specific reasons that I think you attribute to Vrabel as to why they lost the game. But now, when you talk about Vrabel, generally, I think those two problems point to a flaw with Mike Vrabel. I mean, I've said for over a year now that I think Vrabel's biggest flaw is that he doesn't see reality. He sees an ideal future, you know, Cairo Santos. Instead of, he probably won't make the kick, Vrabel's thinking, how awesome would it be if he did? And it's like, you know, you you keep throwing Vic Beasley out there for six weeks, not thinking, gee, he hadn't done anything. He's probably not going to now, or five weeks, excuse me. He's probably not going to now. Instead, he's thinking, man, how awesome would it be if this guy who was so good in in 2016 just turned it on? I think that's Frabel's fundamental flaw. And I think that we continue to see that both in the decisions he does and does not make. Yeah, it does seem that that that's his biggest problem, and what we we might be seeing it going forward in the season with Goskowski, who continues to miss kicks, but Vrabel feels very confident in him because of you know their past, and and it might end up costing the Titans some games in the future. It, it didn't here, although I mean people uh, people were blaming him because he could have cut the lead um, to seven, I think, in the fourth quarter, but I mean. The Colts' offense went right down the field and scored on the Titans' defense, so that didn't even end up mattering. But, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that we're even discussing these these situations within the team, I, I think it has to be attributed to Mike Rabel's decisions, a lot of his personnel decisions, uh, and the biggest decision, which was to not hire a defensive coordinator, which has completely backfired, and they've done absolutely nothing to remedy the situation. Like, I understand getting rid— of Jonathan Joseph and Vic Beasley, fine. They were terrible. They probably shouldn't have even been on the team to begin with. But that's done nothing. It helps for the Bears game because the Bears are one of the worst offenses in the league. Now we play against the Colts, who aren't world beaters on offense, and they absolutely destroy us. And that was in large part because we simply do not have someone capable who is coordinating the off- the defense. And that doesn't seem to change. It feels like... Vrabel is copacetic with this with this system that he has going on, but it's simply not working. And I don't know why they won't make any any changes. Yeah, and you can talk more about that and to point out just how much of a problem Vrabel and what he's done to the defenses this year, like how big of a problem that is. Vic Beasley, when he was with the Titans, which remember he started off the season injured and it took him a long time to get on the field. When he was 
on the field. He played 125 snaps for the Titans that weren't special teams. Uh, David Long this season has played 25 snaps all season on defense. And despite just playing 25 snaps on defense, he has 11 tackles, six solo tackles, a tackle for loss, and a forced fumble. Now, the forced fumble is on special teams, but the point is, you know, there's things that point to an ideal future, like you said, like your guys bouncing back and guys that Vrabel's likes and who he's close to and who he spends the most time around in practice. Like he thinks those guys are going to step up and bounce back and they just haven't shown any of that. And it it goes back to Vrabel being ultra loyal for no reason. Like he cannot see what's in front of him and he has the, the instincts of a turtle in terms of like his ability to change. Like he just cannot do it and he certainly can't do it with any sort of pace. So if you usually over the last two years I guess like when he's made a decision it's almost been because he's been backed into it very rarely has he made a decision and said you know what I'm gonna bench Gerald Casey and put in Jeffrey Simmons because this team just needs more Jeffrey Simmons like that's not what happens it's you know it's not Rashawn Evans looks really slow I'm gonna put out David Long it's you know, Rashawn Evans looks really slow and bad and like he's not reading his keys correctly. So I'm going to use more of this dime package and less of t- less two linebacker sets so that I have an excuse for not putting him out there. He just, for whatever reason, he cannot force himself to adapt and replace players with like players. And I mean, it hurts the team. Like, it, look at Breon Borders. If that's what they were seeing in practice with him and they were playing Jonathan Joseph and Ty Smith because... I guess they're better friends with Frable, which is pretty much the only explanation we could have at this point, then that's another strike against him. It's just it's just a nonstop stream, and it has been ever since they signed Kendrick Lewis and he played a safety position instead of Kenny Vaccaro when Kenny Vaccaro got hurt and it, they didn't put Crookshank in or anything, although Crookshank may have been hurt. But I'm going on a diatribe. Just, I'm trying to say that this is not something that we should be surprised about, and it's not new behavior. It is a critical flaw in his understanding of what he's supposed to do as a head coach, and it is hurting the team right now. I think y'all nailed it. That's, I, I think that's it. That's frightening. That's frightening because it reminds, at least me, of Mike Malarkey because his biggest flaw was that he wouldn't change the offense when it was not working. He wouldn't get rid of Terry Robisky, and it ended up leading to his firing. I'm not going to say Mike Rabel is Mike Malarkey, but they seem to have that same that same trait uh, that could end up being, you know, their downfall. I, I I don't know. I don't know if it will end up being that, but it's definitely concerning for me. Well, it, it's important too, I think, to to look at the other side of this, which is, you know, the, the Titans are six and three. They went to the AFC Championship last year. To call Vrabel a bad coach would be a massive. Uh, exaggeration of what's going on here. I think I think Mike Vrabel is a deeply flawed, good football coach. I mean, yeah, so do I. But I, I think every coach has flaws. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I stand on this. Like, I mean, I'm not. I, I, I just to play devil's advocate. A month into the season, he was, you know, one of the Vegas favorites for coach of the year. Yeah, and then and then a couple of disasters happened, and we changed our tune. And like I told you guys before the pod, like it feels like every other week we're having we're flip flopping on how we feel about Vrabel, how we feel about the team. And you guys said like that's not good, and you're right, it's not good. Like we need some consistency, positive consistency, and we just aren't getting that right now. We didn't really have it last year. Uh, but it just so happened that Ryan Tannehill went went on a historic stretch along with Derrick Henry, and they essentially carried the team to the AFC Championship. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen this year. Granted, we're 6-3, and three, but we're not playing like a 6-3 and three team, and I don't know if we have all season, to be honest, because some of the wins that we've had, we've squeaked by, and it was against teams that aren't that great. So I just don't know where where to stand on this. Uh, on this team, uh, on this coach, uh, there's a lot of season left. They can still make changes, but it seems like they're reluctant to make any changes. And it could end up, you know, 
pushing them out of the playoff race, possibly. They're not even in the playoffs right now. Yeah, like, that. that is terrifying to hear. I hate I've seen it several times, and we've talked about it, and I hate it every time that they started out 5-0, five, five and oh, and then now they're not in the playoffs. And part of that's just because there's a lot of terrible teams, and there's no great teams. It's just a lot of, like, teams floating to the top. I think there's nine teams at 6-3 and three right now, and the Titans are one of them. But, you know, just just so we have this on the record, my take on Brable is I think he is a very good head coach in terms of what he brings to a locker room and the intangible element of it and how relatable he is for the players. I think he is – I think if he was hired as a defensive coordinator, he would be one of the two or three worst in the NFL – and that's given him a boost from the one year we did see him as a defensive coordinator when he was the actual worst in the NFL. So I think he is more of a big picture motivational speaker type guy than he is someone that you want controlling your like day to day operation. Like if he says, OK, I want the football team to be physical. I want this team to be based around run the ball, play action making everybody comfortable, getting guys like A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith in space, and then taking deep shots every now and then. It's like, okay, that's that's a reasonable thing. But if he's involved in the game plan for the week, he's just going to tell you the same thing, which is why don't you have your the cornerback you're most afraid of getting beat deep? Why don't you have him play 10 yards off and do that every single play? And if they keep beating us, don't worry about changing it because I'm pretty sure eventually it'll work out. Like I've seen enough movies to know that eventually something changes and that's sort of his game plan input. So like that's, that's what I think he brings to the table. And that's, that is my stance from here on out until he proves anything differently. All he has to do is hire a defensive coordinator. Like a lot of these problems would be solved. Yeah. He should just hire. He will not now it's too late now. Truly, truly, it could not be worse. It, it's it's not know. hard. I don't it's think not, it's late. Yeah, I think so. it's, it's, there's no reason. I mean, he won't hire one now because he has the excuse of he's in the middle of the season. But anybody who tells you that a defensive coordinator would come in and make people more confused than they are now is just believing a narrative that I don't think exists because he's had nine weeks with these guys and they still don't know the plays. I mean, I they will, are, I, I will they say- are lost. I yeah, will, I will say this: If you know we were to wake up tomorrow and get an announcement, it's like Dean Pease has come out of retirement to join the Titans. I think we would all throw our hands up in the air and say it's fixed. But the problem with you know anyone that's not named Dean Pease is there would be this like assimilation required that would take some time. That's fair, and I also think these players are kind of scarred. At this point, because yeah, some of them I agree seem, with that. They, they're not the same players they were for the past couple of seasons. It's pretty clear. And I don't know what even bringing in, you know, like you said, Dean Pease uh, would do for them because they just seem to be playing at a different speed. They seem to be playing uh, with a different demeanor. It, it's it's really weird because for so many years, this defense was built on, you know, accountability and effort and getting to the ball, swarming to the ball. I'm not seeing any of that. I'm not seeing any of that, and I'm not seeing it from some of our top players like Kevin Byard, uh, Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, uh, Kenny Vaccaro. He's fine, but like he's he's not doing much. He's invisible. No one's... He's invisible. Well, yeah, yeah. L- let me say exactly. this. Let me say this to kind of jump on your point. I think there's four players on defense who are playing at a different speed and making a different impact than anybody else. One of them is Harold Landry. So you know, go ahead and negate that if you want to. But the other ones are Malcolm Butler, Jeffrey Simmons, and Des King. Like, I think those are the only three that, like, I think when Butler breaks up a pass or when Desmond King breaks up a pass, they both have a certain swagger about them, and they both look like they meant to do it. There's some guys that make plays, and they kind of don't really know how it happened, uh, sort of like Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans for the most part this year. And then – Jeffrey Simmons is obviously like in a world of his own, just completely dominant. And at the very least, Harold Landry, like, you know, we all talk about that, like Joe Burrow play where he hit him like three times before he went down. But 
the the thing that matters is he got up after the first two and still actually tried to make a play. Whereas you'll see Jadavian Clowney just like lose after his first step or two and he'll just kind of stand up and look. Like it, at the very least, those four guys are playing with the effort that they were last year. But I mean, for all for all the stuff I like about Vrabel and that I've said about him being a guy who I think can get people going in the right direction and build a good culture. It, you would be hard pressed to find that on the defense now outside of those four guys. It's just wild to me that we keep giving up 30 points a game and nothing changes. Like there are zero personnel changes except for Beasley and Joseph, who, like I said, shouldn't have even been on the team, but Rashawn Evans and Jalen Brown are still playing all the snaps even though, I don't know, try David Long, uh, try someone else. I don't know. Just try something because it's clearly not working. And it's, it's going to end up haunting the team uh, towards, the, towards the end of the season, I think. I want to have a conversation now, playing off of really everything we've talked about so far. And I want to answer a question. I want us to answer a question. Are the Titans good? And, and here's why I'm asking that. I, I they're six and three. You cannot deny that. And and just the other day, I was talking to you two, criticizing people for being too reactionary in the NFL. But here's where we are. Only one of the Titans' six wins was impressive, and that would be their smackdown of the Bills after their COVID week on what was either Monday or Tuesday night football, one of the two, I can't remember. The other five were either against bad teams or came down to like the last minute, or in some cases, both, such as their victory over the Houston Texans that had to go to overtime to beat the you know the Texans, who were now a one-win team. The Bears game that... It, it wasn't terribly close throughout, but the Bears aren't very good. Their 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 record is way better than they actually are as a team. And then and then we have the meltdown games that they had against the Bengals and, and the Colts this past week. The Bengals stink. The Colts are certainly respectable. Are they good? Are they actually? You know the the, the age old phrase is you are what your record says you are, and six and three not that bad. Pretty good. On pace to be what? Uh, you know, like 11 and 5? That's a good record. Are they good or are they frauds? Or somewhere in between? I. They're mediocre. I don't, I don't think they're good. I remember asking during the Vikings game if this team was any good. Uh, they ended up pulling the game out. Uh, but, but, you know, because Goskowski hit like seven field goals or whatever it was in that game. Uh, and then they go, they crush the Bills. That was a fantastic win. Fantastic win. Uh, probably fueled by all the rage from from people calling them out for all the COVID protocols, get, that they're going to get a fine and all that. They were probably, you know, very emotional go- going into that game. And then you had the Texans game, which, you know, they ended up winning, but they needed overtime to do that. And they also needed uh, a Mike Frabel finally going to give him some praise, a Mike Frabel decision. Uh, to take that 12-minute-on-the-field penalty and even give him a chance to for the times to go back down the field and tie the game to get it into overtime. So we needed borderline a miracle to even win that one against a, like you said, one- or two-win Texans team. You had the Steelers game. Yeah, they came back. They fought hard, but they also went down uh, by a considerable margin in the first half. They came out completely flat. Then you have the Bengals debacle. The Bears are terrible. I don't want to give them a lot of credit for that. And then the Colts debacle. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, this isn't a good team. Good teams do not go through these ups and downs, uh, most of most downs. They just don't go through that. And I don't know. I, I don't know where I stand on this team. I don't know. I don't know if they can make the playoffs. I really don't. I, I know I'm being very negative right now, but I'm just I'm not seeing I'm not seeing fight out of this team. The the past couple of weeks, I'm seeing one of the worst defenses in the league, which you know, that's not good. You can't really win too many games if your defense is all that bad and your offense has to carry you week in, week out. And I'm looking at their schedule, and it's not easy. It's not easy. Like, yeah, the Jaguars, Lions, and Texans are, aren't are good, but two of those games are on the road. 
we already almost lost to the Texans. Uh, the Lions have Stafford. They have, you know, Kenny Galladay, DeAndre Swift. They still have good players. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm going to try to answer it as straightforward and not qualify it. But I, I think they're a good team. Uh, I just don't think they're very well coached, at least on defense. Like, I mean, when you look at the players in a vacuum, Tannehill, good. Derrick Henry, good. A.J. Brown, good. Johnny Smith, good. Corey Davis, good this year. You know, then you then you have the guys we talked about on defense who are doing well. It's like you've got enough individual pieces where if you stack all those up, it's hard to say that there's a lot of teams who are just empirically better across the board than the Titans. But you, you didn't ask if they were talented. You asked if they were good. And I think that you have to marriage talent with coaching there. And the offense definitely has it pretty consistently. Like they didn't, they didn't, they got shut out in the second half against the Colts, and that was brutal. But at the same time, they also set the Steelers' defense on fire in the, in the second half of their game, and almost came back and beat them. You know, like and we've seen. I mean, we saw them get hot in the second half of the Vikings game, and we saw them put up thirty. What was it? Three out of the first four games, or something like that. So, you know, I think they're good on that side of the ball, but. It's almost like if you ask, it's like, okay, are the Seahawks a good team? It's like probably not necessarily a great team right now, but if you asked three weeks ago, everybody would have shake, you know, shook their head yes. And if we ask three weeks from now, we might all say yes about the Titans if they win two out of the next three or whatever. But, I mean, right now I think they are a good team. I think they're obviously not a great team, and they're not one of the best teams in the league. But – it almost feels like the talent that I talked about earlier keeps them from dropping any lower than, you know, quote unquote good in my head. But the problem is, is they've got some really good people that they have to play. And without, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but without Taylor Lewan and actively in the locker room and with no leader on defense outside of Jeffrey Simmons, you know, it, it's, it's hard for this team to really rally and, Keep, stop these big momentum shifts they keep getting themselves in. So I, I don't know. Like it would be great if Tannehill or Derrick Henry really became an outspoken guy, and you know, and and they lead in their own ways. But the, there's just there is sort of an it factor you miss when you miss a guy like that, and they're not on the field. So I, I don't know. Like, are they a good team? Yes, but in three weeks, I could completely change my mind and say they're great, or I could say they're not a good team. And that's an interesting point, Will. And, and like I was saying with the issue of being reactionary, it, it's been hard to tell week to week. And you're right, Matias. It feels like every other week we're, we're changing our opinion. But but I don't think in that scope it is being reactionary because it feels like every week we get a different team. Yeah, which is why I'm starting to think the Titans are going to come out it beat the Ravens on the road. I know we talked it's who, about this it's what before they do. the podcast. I mean, this, it would be, it would be it's what classic Vrabel to get stomped yeah. by the Colts and have one of the most anemic second halves you'll ever see and then come out and just do what they did to the Ravens in January. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's what happened last year. Um, and I think we should expect it at this point, honestly. Uh, but I mean, the Ravens are going through struggles as just, just as much as the Titans are, and they're kind of going through an identity crisis. So this, this game could like end end up being a playoff spot potentially because the Steelers are running away with that AFC North division. Uh, and the Colts seem to have a good grasp on the AFC South, especially if they beat us next week. So this is a big game, man. And, And the Titans really have to come out. Uh, and, and really try their best to actually win this game. Because if they don't, um, man, I don't know. It's going to complicate things, especially losing, what, four out of their last five. That is, that's like not firing uh, potential, but, man, you're on the hot seat if, if you lose four out of your last five, especially when you start out 5-0. and Yeah, like the the next three games are – almost more important than you know than the four games after that like 
a game against Baltimore, a game against Indianapolis, which if the Titans beat Indianapolis, you know, if this, if both teams get the same result versus Baltimore slash green Bay this next weekend, like if the Titans beat Indianapolis, then they'll be ahead and, you know, it'll be their sort of path to, to hue or whatever, however you want to say, like they get to decide if they make the playoffs, like if they went out, the Titans would have the AFC South. So like, You've got Baltimore, Indianapolis, and Cleveland. All of those are playoff teams, and you get um, you get your mini by now, and then those next three games, you should know basically whether or not you're in the playoffs at that point. Like, you've got to play Jacksonville, whatever. You've got to play Detroit, whatever. You have to play Green Bay, which might make a difference, I mean, in seeding or something, but just in terms of tiebreakers and stuff – that that doesn't really change much. And then you play Houston at the end of the year. So not even penciling in any wins, just talking about it like I see it now, like Baltimore and Cleveland are probably both fighting for a singular wild card spot. The Colts and the Titans will probably both make the playoffs unless one of those teams completely collapses and the Titans could be that team. Uh, so, I mean, like those those three games will tell you really whether the Titans are good or not and whether they deserve to be in the playoffs. So the good thing is, is I have absolutely no confidence in this team right now. So that's a fun thing <laughs> to imagine as you head into the three important, most important games of the season. We're about to take a 30 second break before we preview the Ravens game, because like you said, Will, it's a huge matchup for them, but TSU said it too. And uh, it's when they have to win and we're going to, we're going to detail for you their path to doing that. But before we take that break, Will, you made the point, I think it was Will, that if the season ended today, the Titans wouldn't even be in the playoffs. Not just that, they wouldn't even be like the runner-up, like the eighth seed. Because, you know, seven teams get in from each each conference this year. They wouldn't even be the eighth seed. They wouldn't even be the runner-up. Cleveland would be the eighth seed. The Titans are behind the Browns at this point. That's what this has come to. That's embarrassing. Baker Mayfield is getting the job done at a higher level than Mike Vrabel's Tennessee Titans. So are the Raiders. Like this is this the is the Raiders are ripping off wins happening. week after week. John Gruden has them playing great football. Yeah, and we're over here losing to the one-win Bengals, who, by the way, just lost 36-10 to 10 well, you know what, to the Steelers. You know what, so just uh, got to play better, got to coach better. Right, 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 right. Of course, that 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 will fix that will fix everything that's wrong. I, it's the, resp- crazy the response to that is like, I mean, yeah, you're you're not wrong, but it's also very right. unspecific. <laughs> It's just crazy that we're in the spot when, yeah, we started out five and zero. We were talking about running away with the division, like, like a virtual lock that we were going to win the division with well, the Texans. I, I, I also think we starting out we, so bad. I think we wrote the Colts off too early. I think well, so too. I think so I, too. I think I think we forget that the Colts, the team we just saw, like the Colts are more like the team they were when they played Baltimore when they scored 10 points than they are the team that played us because most teams don't just concede the other team's biggest strengths. So like they could very well come and beat the snot out of the Titans again. And the Titans could still win the AFC South because other teams are just smart. And we're not like, I mean, they, they, they basically said, what's the one thing you can do, Phillip Rivers? And he said, well, if you give me really easy passes within five yards of the line of scrimmage, I think I can put up some points. And Vrabel said, okay, whatever you need, buddy. Yeah. I remember <laughs> when I played you, and you're such a smart co- uh, quarterback. Did you see what I said about you last year? Oh, I just, I just love the way you don't cuss on the field. You're so cool. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things where it looked like the Titans <laughs> – created the perfect defense to make Phillip Rivers look comfortable Matias, and then forgot that they actually weren't the Colts. Matias, you tweeted from the No Nonsense account that uh, it looked like, it was like, did the Titans even watch film of the Colts for this game? Of of the Colts and of Phillip Rivers for the past 15 seasons, all he does is throw to the running backs and throw slants across the middle of the field to, to his receivers and – 
it was like the Titans had never seen this type of offense before. It was crazy. Well, and what what makes that point even more valid is the Colts knew that they were going to have to steal some points. They went for it on fourth down twice on the first drive. Like, they were afraid that they weren't going to be able to put up points on the Titans. And then the Titans were just like, no, go ahead. You can have points. We think we're pretty good on offense. Like, we don't want to make this boring for the people at home. Like, it, they they very clearly thought that the Titans were going to have some game plan for them, and then they just didn't. So it, it was super weird. All right, we're going to take a 30-second break. When we get back, we're going to let you know what the Titans need to do to get back on track, go to 7-3, and three, and beat the Baltimore. as I I develop a bad case of the hiccups inconveniently, beat the Baltimore Ravens. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the Titans and the Ravens now. As I told the two of you earlier today, I was was doing a podcast with with someone who wanted me to come on and talk about the Titans, and they asked, uh, what what kind of coverages do you think the Titans need to run to stop Lamar Jackson? And I said, well, some would be nice because they haven't really done much of any kind of coverage – throughout the season so far but one thing that did pop up in my head is I was I was discussing their problem with off coverage playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage and I made this declaration on this podcast and I'll make it on our podcast so so, so that the people that actually you know follow us can hear this the Titans do this 10 yard off coverage again against the Ravens they will lose I'm saying that right now, and here's why. Because this week, more than any other week, not only is 10 yards you know, beyond the line of scrimmage 10 yards off of the receivers, it's also 10 yards off of Lamar Jackson. And you know those, those pictures of Derrick Henry when he breaks those runs and you see his eyes and they get really big? Well, that's going to happen to Lamar Jackson if he sees 10-yard off coverage the whole game. He's going to have a field day if that happens. No doubt about it. So just expect it from the Titans defense. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm at peace with it. It's just it's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, the good news for the Titans defense is that the Ravens offense is going through an identity crisis uh, themselves, just like the Titans defense is. Unfortunately, they can still run the ball very well. I think they're the top uh, rushing offense in the league, but they are – uh, at least going into last night's game, they were 31st in the NFL in passing offense, and those stats, those stats are real because I've seen them, I've seen them, I've seen them. Unfortunately, I have Mark Andrews on, on several fantasy teams, and I've had to watch a lot of Ravens passing offense football, and they are, they're bad. Like they are schematically just schemed up very, very poorly in terms of their passing offense. Uh, their receivers don't get open all that often because they're not all that talented. Marquise Brown gets open down the field pretty often, but Lamar Jackson can't hit him because he's been struggling with his accuracy a little bit this season. And they're also not pass protecting as well as, as they did last season, mainly because Ronnie Stanley has been injured and Lamar Jackson is kind of seeing ghosts in the pocket and he's, you know, he's scrambling too often. He's bailing from the pocket too often. And it has been, it's been brutal. They cannot get the ball out to to their talented Marquise Brown and also Mark Andrews and their running backs uh, in the passing game. Also, it's it's been brutal. But the perfect recipe for a struggling offense is to come up against the Tennessee Titans defense. And I don't know. Like I could see Lamar Jackson running for two hundred yards on this defense easily. <laughs> easily, uh, I mean. Yeah, the, the Ravens' offense has taken a step back. They're they're very dependent on their defense making plays for them to kind of get them the ball back. But, yeah, like, if the Titans continue to just refuse to try to change and adapt, it's going to be hard. Like, they almost lucked into David Long playing last time. Like, they, they had injuries, so they accidentally ended up with a much faster linebacking core than they originally would have had going into that game. So... That benefited him. Uh, earlier, David Long went on the COVID list, so he won't be available for this game. So, you know, if they, if they're hoping that they have some sort of secret weapon in that, they don't. Uh, they'll have to use more defensive backs. And the good news, I mean, quote-unquote good news, just from a schematic standpoint, is that 
their best blocking tight end Boyle won't be on the field because he he had an injury last week. So it you can almost get away with going a little bit lighter compared to where you would have been able to in the past. But I mean, they're the first thing they're going to force you to do is tackle their running backs, and that means that the safeties and Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown are going to have to be involved. And that's that there are no scarier words in the English language to Titans fans right now. than those are the guys who you have to rely on to make a play. So the first thing's first, it's not even going to be Lamar. It's just going to be watching out for those running backs because they don't want to really throw the ball a lot. They would much rather run it down your throat and get out there and play good defense. You know, that, that is not something the Titans have held up particularly well against. And, I mean, maybe Jeffrey Simmons can completely dominate because it seems to be the driving factor in the games that we win is Daquan Jones and Jeffrey Simmons playing just heads and head and shoulders better than everybody else. But, you know, if they can find a way to just double those guys and put our linebackers in space, then there's going to be a serious issue. So what's the path to victory then for the Titans? Because I was also asked that. On uh, the podcast, that was the last question he asked. Is he's like, fill in the blank. The Titans need to blank to beat the Ravens. I was like, score thirty points on offense, <laughs> but because I mean, it's been the same thing every week. It's like if the offense is is in sync and Ryan Tannehill's having one of his good Ryan Tannehill type of games, and if if Derrick Henry's ripping off chunk games, and the Titans are going to be fine. If they have to rely on their defense to do anything, it's not going to be pretty. No, they definitely need to score points in this game, and I, I think they will be able to. The, the Ravens' defense is very good, but they have been able to get run on uh, at least the past couple of weeks. I don't know if that coincides with Calais Campbell uh, being injured. Uh, he's a pretty big part of that defensive line, so maybe that has something to do with it. But I think Derrick Henry could have a pretty solid game. And obviously, if Tannehill plays like he did in the playoff game against the Ravens last year, which was in Baltimore also— I mean, we're gonna have we're gonna have a good chance to win because the Ravens' offense just isn't the powerhouse that that it was last year. Yeah, they can still put up you know twenty four to thirty points, but this isn't really a team that's gonna put up you know thirty five forty. I, I say that knowing that the Titans' defense is as bad as it is, but I think the Titans, if they can score uh, on this team, which I think they can, although the second half against the Colts has me like legitimately worried because they couldn't get anything going Derek Henry played well but in terms of passing offense they couldn't get anything going so I'm hoping Adam Humphreys is back for this game I think he's actually a pretty crucial part of this offense and I want to see more I want to see more targets for Johnu. He he's been getting targeted like twice a game for the past four weeks or something yeah, like what's that. up with that he's I, I don't know he he looked like he was on his way to one of the breakout seasons for a tight end this season, and he's just been a non-factor uh, ever since we had that mini bye week. And I, I, don't, I think Will said that it might have something to do with his injury. I think he picked that up against the Texans. I don't know if he's still injured or what's going on, but, man, we got to get him involved because he's a game-changer when, when he's getting the ball and, and is able to make guys miss. Yeah, and I think he had a long catch against uh, Chicago, if I remember, yeah, the long catch, and they went back to him for a touchdown later. But, yeah, I mean, he definitely had been a driving factor. I think the easiest and simplest path to success for the Titans is to get Derrick Henry going. Like, it's not super complicated. It's not like you have to get him from averaging 30 yards a game to averaging 120. Like, they played the third-best defense in rushing yards allowed per game last week when they played the Colts. And he had over five yards of carry. I think it was, what, 101 for on 19 carries or something. So, like, he was productive there. Now they get to face a much more average rush defense in the Ravens this week. So, you know, going by his kind of standard deviation, playing above the average, I mean, that should mean like a 130-something yard game for him. Like, if he has 130 yards, I think the Titans win the game. Not not one of those weird stats where it's like in eight of eight games where Derrick Henry has 110 yards and two receptions and his left shoe untied, the Titans win. Like this is one of those things where if they're able to move the ball consistently on the ground, I think everything else opens up. I think uh, Patrick Queen has been 
good, but probably not like the stud that everybody thought he was going to be. So if you can get, get him biting side to side early, like they got the Colts on that touchdown pass last week. Like if you can get them to bite on the misdirection because they really have to pay attention to Derrick Henry, then everything else opens up, which is sort of the MO for the entire offense just in general. But this week specifically, just because Derrick Henry's had success against this team, they're banged up in the middle. I think Brandon Williams missed most of the game uh, Sunday versus the Patriots, who's their other big defensive tackle. So they're banged up there. They've got youth in the middle. Like you should be able to exploit that defense. Plus no no offense to Yannick Ngakwe, but they do have Yannick Ngakwe. And for whatever reason, it seems like, Derrick Henry has always done well when he's played against Ngakwe. So may, maybe that helps. Like, But I think this isn't a game where you want to drop back and have Tannehill throw 50 passes. You can have him throw 30 passes, and that's fine. But you can't, you can't do that thing which they did too many times, which is you start off trying to get too cute, and you run play action, play action, play action before you ever actually run the ball. Like, don't be too cute. Just run the ball down their throat on the first drive and then establish that early and go from there. Real quick, uh, I'd like to just um, – I'm I'm happy that the Derrick Henry rushes for 100 yards, the Titans win thing. has come to an end. It's dead because he ran for 100 yards against the Bengals and the Colts, and we lost both games. So can we please stop with that – ridiculous stat narrative that just makes absolutely no sense because rushing offense doesn't correlate with wins in the NFL. Uh, no, I decline. I think we're going to have to use it all the time. Like it, the stat is worse now, but you got to respect the history and the tradition. The fluky fair enough. Fair, at, fair least, enough. <laughs> at least it's a real stat. We'll, we'll get to fake stats in just a bit when we get to our final segment of the show. Um, I'm kind of running out of things to talk about with this matchup. I mean, we've hit the points that, you know, it's a must win. And if the Titans do same old, same old, they're probably not going to win it. I don't know that there's a whole lot else to say about this. Uh, It's an exciting matchup. I feel like it would be a lot more exciting if the Titans won last week. Um, But it is what it is. They're getting the big crew, Tony Romo and – and Jim Nance will be calling the game. The nation will be watching. But, you know, thinking about this game as a whole, it just it feels like one of those games the Titans win. This is just who they have been with Mike Vrabel. They lose a game they should win in the most confusing of ways. And then a week later, they take it to a powerhouse and you're just so confused still. Am I off base with that? No. I mean, it's what has happened. But, well, you said powerhouse. So I guess after the Steelers game, uh, we were expecting them to beat the brakes off of the Bengals. That didn't happen. So that made me a little concerned about whether this team, you know, is going to be the team that it was last year in terms of coming back. Uh, and laying the wood on someone when, when they really needed it following uh, following a loss that, that they shouldn't have. But I guess the Steelers game, you know, we weren't really expected to win. Uh, they did do it with the Bears after losing the Bengals game. They came back, they got the W. So maybe maybe that's just, you know, the trend that they're going for. They're going to lose a game in kind of embarrassing fashion. They'll, they'll come back out and they'll get the W. I hope so, uh, especially against the Ravens because this is a team that, that could be competing uh, for a playoff spot with. Uh, I also think there's going to be a really good game. Like, I, I know I say the Titans are mediocre, but the Ravens aren't exactly the elite team that they were last year. I still think these teams are ha- or have the potential to be very good, and I think they could be Super Bowl contenders if they just iron out a couple of, uh, a couple of flaws that they have. So I'm expecting this to be a pretty exciting game, and, and it's probably going to come down to the wire. Yeah, it, it does feel like that classic, the Titans just let you down, so now that you finally think you have them pegged, they're going to turn it around and actually win a game that you don't expect them to. The The opposite of the Bengals game, where it's like, 
you think they're going to win this one because of course they would, they need it. Why wouldn't they? And then they come around and do it. So it's one of those where the matchup seems not to favor the Titans. Everything we know about the Titans suggests that they won't be able to adapt at all to this. But then again, you know, were the Titans supposed to beat the Patriots two years ago with Mariota? No. Like, I mean, I, I can go through that list. Kansas City, like the playoff games last year, like they just seem to play up to that that caliber of opponent. The only thing I would say is, again, I don't really know where the heart on this team is. Like, it can't be variable. Like at this point, the players have to be a little bit out on his message because he his side of the ball cannot keep it together. You know, is it Lawan? No, he's not there. Is it Kevin Byard? No, he's not making plays. Is it? Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown, who were supposed to be the core of that defense? No. Like, is it Derrick Henry? He's too quiet. Is it Tannehill? Probably not, even though I think he's more vocal than people think. You know, it's it's basically like, can Jeffrey Simmons get everybody to get up and play as well as he does? Because if so, then, yeah, they'll, they'll blow him out. But I don't know. Like, I just need somebody else to step up and take ownership, and we have not seen anybody do that since Lawan went out. So... Uh, until we do, I'm even hesitant to say that this is a game that I think the Titans will win because, it, like, if this team just feels so foreign to me. I think it's time for stop the nonsense, and 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 you know we we've been talking about a lot of nonsense with football, but I think we'll have a chance to perhaps step out of football. What do you got, guys? Uh, mine's very much in football, but not actually football action. It's just something that's incredibly aggravating. Great. So uh, the uh, the Titans posted a video. Uh, again, we all know what the Titans are. Like we've we've seen their defense play football before, but they posted like a thirty second clip before the game, hyping everything up. You know, hyping the team up and saying. Yeah. You know, like the defensive clips and it was all these stuff is like, okay, look at how good Jeffrey Simmons is, blah, blah, blah. But then they posted something that said, quote, hits and picks. And it's all the defensive backs, like dapping each other up and like banging helmets and all that kind of stuff before the game and getting all pumped up. And then you come out and barely get any hits and don't get any picks. And I'm not saying that these need to be prophetic, but I'm saying that when you look at these things in retrospect, you want to look like they were at least possibly right. But when you say hits and picks and it's a bunch of defensive backs hyping each other up and then you watch them play 10 yards off coverage all night and get dink and dunked all down the field <laughs> and only see the other team pump once. So I don't know, maybe just delete that video. Like it's <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. And I, I just I hate it because. It's like this false bravado that this team just does not deserve right now. When was the last interception the Titans had? They, they like lead the league in interceptions or something. No like, way. Uh, it, or, I mean, they're really high because when was the like, last they, one? Did they pick? They, I, they don't have one. They didn't have one in the two games last week. Did they pick Burrow? Uh, Foles didn't throw an interception. I don't think so. No, I guess not. Like, oh, no, he didn't, no. I, I guess it was just like fumbles and stuff that they had. Oh, Big Ben. Big Ben threw Yeah, Big Ben yeah, they picked Big ben three times, right? Yeah, well, one was a Hail Mary, but the other two were bad. Oh, yeah, sorry. The, the, there's very few earned interceptions on this team. There's a lot of like, <laughs> oh, like, I mean, the only earned interceptions are when like Jeffrey Simmons almost tips it to himself or he tips it to yeah. Landry or Landry tips it to him. Like, it's very rarely because a defensive back makes a good break on a ball. In fact, I'm not sure that's happened yet this season. So, you know, there, there's your answer is the fact that we can't remember any good ones is probably more on the team than it is on us. All right, I will do mine now. And I, I teased it earlier, fake stats. Now, there are some real stats that I have bones to pick with, such as, you know, I don't think completion percentage is ever an indicator of anything outside of context. However, for the most part, if we're having a conversation about football, whether it's a debate or we're just, you know, talking shop, and you bring up, a real stat. And by real stat, let me give you some examples. Tackles for loss, sacks, quarterback hits, receiving yards, rushing yards, 
yards per carry, passing touchdowns, right? Those are real stats that, like, you know, you go on the box score after the game on ESPN or, or you know, you even play a game of Madden on your PlayStation and, and you turn it on after the game, the stats you can see. And, and, and it's not that I'm opposed to new age stats because I, I think that there are some new age stats that are, are very interesting. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the yards per or, or miles per hour. I don't think it tells you a whole lot, but at least it's objective. And and there are some other ones that, that I think make a lot of sense too. Uh, I, I like looking at, at snap counts. I like, you know, looking at counts of, okay, well, how many times did this guy play on the line of scrimmage versus off the line of scrimmage? You know, all of these new sort of next-gen stats that we have I think are great. Here's an example of a fake stat. Big-time throw. What in the world does that mean? Big-time throw. That is there is there an actual like quali- like qualifier for that or is it just like I, I, one I of those know. mystery stats where it's like 10 years from now they'll reveal the formula and it's like plays 20 yards down the field with the defender within three yards while also throwing across your body and it's like i mean look, I, we, I do hate that we all know who the problem is with this it's pro football focus throwing out their nonsense their garbage to all these people who eat it right up because they have Chris Collinsworth's endorsement. and But there are other ones I know of, too. That's just one that came to mind. What are some other ones? Like, Matthias, I know you know some of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure they have, like, a stat that tracks how many yards the defensive lineman gets before he's in contact with the offensive lineman oh. or something like that. <laughs> this, and then, like, this... the... It's the insane. catch probability thing, like oh when they're God. like, "That's a twenty three percent catch probability," and it's like, "Yes, based on what?" It's oh, like, here's a, here's another one because like, we heard this one all the time when the Titans signed Cameron Wake. He's got a pass rush win rate of. Oh yeah, who that, cares? That also points me to the stat of quarterback pressures, quote unquote, which. Now, Does that one's borderline, because really... I feel like I've been hearing that one for, like, a decade. That one's not a yeah. new creation. No, well, it's not really a new creation, but it's, like, it's leaned on more now as an excuse for a lack of production. And it's, like, people are like, oh, well, he's the he is the best pass rusher in the NFL uh, in terms of pressures without a sack. And it's, like, pressures without a sack is not a compliment. That's how many times you almost got your job done. And it's like you've been given more opportunity. But people were like, oh, well, those will come. And it's like that there is no guarantee of that. And you see that all the time. So pressures without a sack is a really weird stat. I think there's another one. It's like uh, uh, run blocking efficiency. Isn't that one? Or pass blocking efficiency? I don't know. Yeah, that's real. That's real. And it's all like these are all things that like. Uh, Taylor Lewan specifically has like decried, but most former players have all had an issue with, uh, except for Jeff Schwartz, if his brother does well. Um, but it's like, okay, you have a seventy or you have a ninety-eight pass ru- or pass blocking efficiency rating, and it's like you're still like one of the worst in the NFL. But it's like, okay, so where does that one point seven that I didn't get come from? And it's like there's no real explanation. It's just like here's your pressures allowed, and it's like, well, that guy allowed more pressures. Why is his number lower than mine? Why is his number better than mine? And it's it's all these things that like you look at and people throw them out to you and use it to kind of prop up their arguments, but they don't really mean anything. It's just different ways to sort people so that if you'd want to defend somebody, there is a stat out there that you can point to and say, exactly, yeah, it's like sure he looks bad. But did you know that this made-up number actually says he's good and I'm right? Yeah, and that and that's my problem with it. It's not that they exist. I mean, go make your money, PFF. Do what you got to do. But yeah. it's the people that like use them as argument points when they probably don't even know like the standard for like you know what makes a big time throw or what is considered a pass rush win or whatever. Uh, Matias, just- you got something for us? Yeah, but before, uh, just I was on the uh, Pro Football Focus website because I wanted to see yeah. some of their ridiculousness. 
And they have a subsection. They're talking about how they grade quarterback play. They have a subsection called expected plays. And it says here, there are many plays in which the result of the play is purely down to the to the receiver making a play against a defender. And we are sure to isolate the QB's grade away from the result. A 50-50 jump ball is often down to wide receiver quarterback interaction. So the difference in a completion or an incompletion will not change the quarterback's grade. What? How can you how can you just say that the throw that he made doesn't count and doesn't factor in his grade? It's like, I was, talk- uh, I was the talking. The fifty-fifty ball is completely up to where the ball is thrown to. I don't yeah. understand that. I re- I was talking to Teron Davenport one time about PFF and like the Madden grades, and he said, "Here's what they do. So if you're Malcolm Butler and you give up five yards on third down and seven, did you do your job?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "But pro football folks is going to go in and say, you know, five yard completion allowed minus this many points,' and it's like, yeah, it's true." <laughs> That's a 158.3 passer rating against you for that one completion. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So dumb. yeah, and it's all, oh, and all, I, yeah, that's another one. It's like pa- passer. This receiver gives up this passer rating when he is thrown to, or or this cornerback, or this safety allowed this. Per- mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of nonsense, I'm gonna carry over here. The the Saints, the Saints. What a. What's going on here? So it was reported today that Drew Brees has multiple rib fractures on both sides of his chest and a collapsed lung on his right side. Three fractured ribs on his left side, two on the right, possibly more. Uh, Doctors have cautioned Brees to be especially careful with the damage to his lung. Yeah, I would would hope that that they would would be cautious with this. Uh, But apparently, like, this has been going on for a couple of games. And this, the one of the hits in this last game, like accentuated what happened. But apparently, he's been playing through this. I think I read some reports about that. And I'm just sitting here thinking, how can you let this guy get onto the field when he has even the slightest possibility that his lung can just explode? <laughs> I, the, I when, the, when the alternative when the alternative is Jameis Winston, you do what you got to do. I, I guess that's what it is, although they pay Taysom Hill $10 million a year for something, right? You might as well use him. Uh, but no, it, it, I just I found that absurd that so, so so many medical staffs around the NFL are probably so scared to even tell these players that, no, you really should not do this. And <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why I, cre- I credit the Packers because their medical staff, even though I hate it for fantasy football because they ho- hold these guys out for multiple weeks for like a calf strain. Like, good. That's what they're actually supposed to do. They're supposed to keep your guys healthy for the short term and also the long term. And I feel like a lot of medical staffs uh, don't do that. And the other part of my stopping nonsense is, I don't know if you guys know this account. It's called The Checkdown. Uh, they're, they're like Yes, I'm aware of them. I don't know who their parent company is, but they're essentially just a social media uh, account on, on Twitter. And they post random clips from NFL games, and they just they hype up anyone. They hype up any player. Like I'm looking at one right now. It says Miles Garrett's speed is terrifying because he ran down Deshaun Watson after Deshaun Watson had already picked up the first down. <laughs> and I swear they just hype up any play, any player, uh, just to get the clicks. And for some reason they get all these clicks. I don't know why, but although I call them out whenever I see something absolutely ridiculous, but. I don't know. I just I I'm kind of sick of them for being so clickbaity uh, in times of social media. Also, uh, Rex Chapman, you can put into that category too. It's yeah. it's crazy. He's like the Bible for Twitter. I don't know when this happened. I I blocked him a long time ago. Yeah, it happened uh, for my timeline exactly one week after Luke brought him up to me for the first time. Like then he was all. It was like kudzu. I could not get rid of him. He was on every. Tweet. He was constantly being quote tweeted and retweeted. Like I couldn't even get away from him. So he's just on my timeline now, and I did no idea who he was until Luke said something. And ninety percent of it is like. What I once heard uh, referred to as sympathy porn. It's like, yeah. like this this grandmother has the coronavirus and is passing away, but she still had enough energy to you know give I don't money to cancer research. I, I you know. Yeah, that one that one is not as popular <laughs> as some of the other ones because it's so sad. But it is. I mean, it is like that. You were right. It is like 
this won't keep this person down because they're blank. Yeah. And then it's like yeah. the same cut and draft formula every time. And it's just like, it's <laughs> like what the, uh, the 2020 NFL draft was like, where it was like, everybody had a tragic backstory that they had to like, try yes, to reach every I had forgotten bit about that of emotional, like human connection as they can. They're like, sure. We're all having a hard time. And it's great that your team just got a good player uh, or Isaiah <laughs> Wilson. But did you know that this person had to overcome this? And here's a three minute video of it. And it's like, how did they get all these damn videos? <laughs> yeah. But, I, I'd I forgotten about right? that, but I remember that did, now. Did anyone mention Simmons? Do what? Did anyone mention Simmons on ESPN? Because that was that was um, what yeah, free Simmons. Yeah, when they when they did the the ESPN went back through his history. They did they barely even announced the pick, and oh, all they talked they about just was, the, yeah, the, was that the was fight the video. Worst. There was like, that was yeah, it. They didn't even uh, talk about him. The same day that they had reported that Tyreek Hill got caught, like, oh, yeah, like right, punching right. his like, <laughs> kid's mom or whatever happened there. It was like an hour before, and they were just like. And he might sign an extension to be the highest paid receiver in history. But we should note that there is some glum news. But it's like Jeffrey Simmons, it's like, well, we have to show you this footage. And I'm like, oh, like, or that maybe they didn't show the footage. And there's like, well, we have to talk about this. And I was like, well, okay. Like, there's other people that did bad things. But like, y'all, like, does anybody want to talk about Darius Geis? Or no, y'all, y'all are just good with all that. We'll just deal with the one person that the Titans take. Okay, cool. Hmm. Mm. All right, that's that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, this was fun. We will be back next week to recap the Ravens game, which is crucial as we talk about. The Titans got to get back on track after losing three or four. Uh, for Willa Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.